This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. If you got your Bible, go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Zechariah chapter 10. Deuteronomy 6 and Zechariah chapter 10. We're in a series right now called Altars. And what we're doing is we're looking at these, these, these four altars, these four areas that we believe that God is calling us as his people, as his church, to contend for in our generation. Uh, the heart, the home, the church, and the community. We, we started last week by talking about the heart. And, and we started with the heart because the heart is really where it starts. And, and realize this about God. God wants your heart. God's goal is your heart, that you would have a heart that's surrendered to him. The reason God wants your heart is because God ultimately wants your life. And the Bible makes it clear that your life follows your heart. And the reason why God wants your life and your heart is because God's the one who really offers you life. He's the only one that truly offers you real life. So he wants your heart because he wants you to experience and walk in the kind of life that he created you to experience. And so last week we talked about that. We also talked about how, how, you know, revival is something that we value in our church that we want to bring to our city, our nation. How many of you would agree like revival is needed in our country? Revival is needed in the world. We, we agree with that. But you have to understand that in order for revival to start out there, it has to start in here. Before revival can move into the world, it first has to move into your heart. And it's from that place of of being in your heart that God can begin to stir up in you and then you can reflect his heart into the world and bring about the revival, kingdom come kind of stuff that he wants to do in this world. And so uh, if you were here last week, we we talked about all that stuff and then at the very end, we, we brought our hearts before the Lord. We asked him to examine our hearts, to look at our hearts. So if there's anything within our hearts that is not pleasing to the Lord... We could surrender that unto the Lord and, and receive all that he has for us. So I want to encourage you, if you missed last week, make sure you go back and you listen to that message because really it starts there. It starts in the heart. Before we can move into these other areas, first it has to be birthed within us. Today I want to talk to you about the altar of the home. And, and really, I'm going, to, I'm going to dig into some stuff related to parenting, a lot of stuff related to parenting today. But, but I also want you to realize wherever you are, this message applies to you because we all, we all have a home, right? And God wants, God, what God wants is that what's going on in our heart to be reflected in our home. And he wants our home to be an altar where, what, what is an altar? It's a place, it's an elevated place where we make sacrifices and we light a fire that God can move on. He wants all of us to have that in our life, whether whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're newly married, whether you got kids, whether you're a college student, wherever you are, this message applies to you. So don't discount that this could be for you. This is for you today. So, so really lean into what God wants to do because we're gonna look at the foundation of your home and how important it is. Matthew, in Matthew chapter 17, uh, Jesus talks about foundations. He says that the foundation of your life or really the foundation, he says, of a house, which really he's talking about your life, has to be built on the rock, right? The rock being the word of God, the rock being the ways of God. He says a house that's built on that or a life that's built on the rock is going to be able to stand. But a house that's not built on the rock, a house that's built on the sand or a life that's built on the sand, when the storms of life come, and how many of you know there's storms that come in life, there's things that rise up and happen, it says, he says, when the storms of life come, that that house is going to get rocked. 
that that house isn't going to be able to stand. It's going to fall and great will be the crash of that life. And so maybe you're here today and, and you, in your home, you, you would look at your home today and you would say, you know what, there's some cracks in the home. And here's the thing about cracks in the home. If there's cracks in the home, there's a problem with the foundation. In fact, let me, let me put it like this. When cracks, when, when cracks in the home are revealed, a weakness in the foundation is being exposed. And so I think, and sometimes it's by the grace of God that we start to see some of the cracks because the cracks show us, hey, there's a bigger problem and we want to address these cracks, not, at the, not where we see them, but at the foundation because if, you just, if we just try to putty over them, if we just try to pretend they're not there, if we, if we go paint the living room when the, when the problem and the crack is in the dining room, when, if, we, if we just try to buy some new appliances and pretend this isn't going on, how I many you know that's not going to make the crack go away? We have to address it at the foundation. So that's what we're going to look at today is, is what are you building the foundation of your home on? What are you building the foundation? So a couple things. One, this message is for you. Look at the person beside you and say, this is for you. Because I think it's easy to look at a message like this and say, oh, this is not for me. I'm not a parent yet. Or, I, you know, I, I don't, I'm, I'm past that. I'm a grandparent now. I'm, I'm past that season of my life. But how many of you know we need some good godly grandparents, parents backing us up in what we're doing? How many of you agree with that? And then the other thing is maybe you find yourself, after, as I talk about this today, feeling like, you know what, I've messed up. I've messed this up. Like, I, I, I didn't take... I didn't make the most of this opportunity I had. Listen, I want you to know, if that's how you feel today, that, that's, not, that's not the Holy Spirit speaking to you today. If the voice that you hear today is a voice of condemnation, that's like, I'm messed up and there's no hope, and it, it just has you looking backwards at all the mistakes you've made, that, that's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. The voice of conviction of the Holy Spirit says, hey, maybe you didn't get this right, but we're going to pick up from here and we're going to move forward. So that's what I want you to know today. God wants to pick you up wherever you are right now. And from this day forward, we're going to follow God. From this day forward, we're going to build an altar in our home. And we're going to follow after God with all we have. Someone say amen to that. Amen. Would you bow your heads and let's pray as we jump into this today. Lord, we just welcome you into this place today. We say that we need you. We love you. And God, we want to build an altar in our home. We want to make our home an elevated place where you are lifted up, where you are glorified, where there are sacrifices that we make related to, to, related to the things of this world so that we can contend for what you care about, the hearts of our children, the hearts of a generation. We know you've called us to make an impact in this world, and what greater place for that to take place than in our home. So Lord, I pray that out of this message would be birthed new life out of this message, would be birthed homes that are aflame for you, that, that, that the people of the world would step into our home and they would, they would find a place where God is elevated, where the presence of God is known and, and seen and the blessing of God is, is, is apparent. And so, Lord, we just thank you for what you're going to do today. We give you glory and honor and praise for all that you're going to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So last week we talked about an altar. We said that by definition, an altar is a sacred place to God and also it's, it's, a, sac it's a sacred place of sacrifice to God and also uh, a place where we receive from God what only God can provide. And if you remember last week, we talked about how the altar is kind of like this intersection. It's this place where, where the ways of God and the ways of the world collide. It's an intersection. 
And so what God wants to do is he wants us to, to build these altars in our world. It starts in our heart and then into our home where it's an elevated place of worship unto the Lord. It's a place where we remember the faithfulness of God. We remember the times that he's come through for us. We remember the times where he's blessed us and taken care of us and provided a way. And we respond to what he's done with worship and with a life of sacrifice and, and with a life where we're saying, God, we want you here. An altar is a place where the world can look at, at your life and what God is doing in you. And they can say, God showed up there in that person. It's a place that glorifies God, that honors God. And so understand this about, about altars. My altar or your altar is anywhere I choose to genuinely seek after and devote myself to God. Your altar is anywhere that you choose to say, God, I want you here. God, I am, I am going to live my life according to your ways because I want you here. I'm earnestly seeking after, after God. And so that, here's, here's what that tells us. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Every home has the potential to be an altar unto the Lord. Henry Nouwen says it like this. The home altar is a place where the sacred and the ordinary meet. Remember, we talked about it's an intersection, right? The sacred things of God, the ways of God are meeting with the ordinary. How many of you have some ordinary stuff going on in your home? We all do, and yet God wants to show up in the midst of the ordinary and make himself known in that. It's a reminder that God is present in the mundane moments of life. Now, I think one of the things that we've done as the people of God is we've kind of segmented our life sometimes when it comes to, to the altars. And we look at stuff like the church, the corporate gathering as a place where we can kind of build an altar. It's a place where we can make these kind of sacrifices. It's a place where we can glorify God. And yet we've, we've missed out on the opportunity of making our home those same kind of places and, and building an altar in our home that our children can look at and say, man, God is glorified in this place. God is worshiped in this place. God is honored in this place. And listen, I am all for the corporate altar. Obviously, I have given my life to building the church, and I believe in the church. I believe in the impact a, a, a godly church with, that's full of disciples can make and, and, and what God can do in you and what God can do through us as the body of Christ, a body of believers who are on mission together, sharpening each other and doing all the things that God wants us to do as the corporate body. I believe in that with all of my heart, but understand this, the home altar has always been uh, the base unit for, for discipleship that God wants to do. It's, it's from the home where discipleship really takes place. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, I told you to turn there, we have what's called the Shema. It was, a, it was a prayer that the Israelite people, the Hebrew people, would pray on the daily. And it was not just a prayer they would pray, it was something that they would work to memorize. And it was not just something they worked to memorize and that they would pray, but it was something they, they worked to live out in their life. They wanted the future generations to see this being lived out in their life. Let me read you a section of it. Verse, nine, or verse 4 says... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Somebody say all. All, all your heart, with all your soul. Say it again, all. all. And with all your strength. These commandments, these teachings that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Remember, it starts on your hearts. And then what happens from there? We impress them on your children. I want you to notice something. It doesn't say that the children's pastors at the church you attend will impress them on your children. It doesn't say that. It says, it says you impress. That's the understood idea. You impress this on your children. Listen, I want you to know something. God did not give your children's discipleship to us to do. 
because he didn't give your kids to us. He gave them to you. And how it works best is you disciple your children and the church comes alongside of you and backs up what you're already doing in the home. And I can tell you as someone who was a children's pastor for about 10 years that when it works best is when the church gets to come alongside and back up what you're impressing on your children within your home. You can give your kids to, to us. He gave them to you, all right? So you're the primary discipler of your children. Now look at how you do this. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your, on your gates. In other words, the ways of God should be exalted in your life, exalted in your home exalted, the, the, the words of, of God, the teachings of God, should, they, should, they should be elevated within, within your home. Our homes are supposed to be an altar where God is glorified, where the teachings of God and the, the, the messages of the word of God are being elevated and, and, and where we're, we're, we're displaying for our children what sacrifice looks like, what worship unto the Lord really looks like. We see this continued on in Acts chapter 2. As the New Testament church is being birthed, after Jesus has died on the cross, been resurrected, he gives the Great Commission, and the church is being birthed and beginning to work this. It says this in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That's a picture of the, of the church. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. So we, we see here in, in these verses that the the temple, the church, along with the home, were these primary resources that God wanted to use to build his kingdom in people's lives and in this world. God wants to work through the church. I want you to know this morning, God doesn't want you just to experience the presence of God here at church once a week. I hope you know that. God wants you to be elevating his ways and his teachings, worshiping him, making sacrifices unto him in such a way that God's presence shows up in your living room. God's presence shows up in your bedroom. God's presence shows up at your dinner table. Somebody say amen. amen. That's the way God designed it to be. But for, sadly for a lot of people, what we've done is we've handed over discipleship to the next generation. We, we've laid down the altar of the home and we've kind of just put it into this one section of our life and, and we've segmented into certain people do this, but it's not really my job. And, and we're missing out on an incredible opportunity that God presents us with. And Zechariah, I told you to turn there. We have the prophet Zechariah prophesying for the Lord. So he's speaking on behalf of God about this issue. He says this in verse one, he says, ask rain from the Lord in the season of spring rain from the Lord who makes storm clouds and he will give them showers of rain to everyone, the vegetation of the field. In other words, God says, hey, I wanna help. God's saying, I wanna help you. I wanna shower blessing on you. I wanna shower favor on you. I wanna help so that the things you're trying to do in this world can spring forth and grow the way they're supposed to grow, but there's a problem. What's the problem? Look at what it goes on to say. For the household God's utter nonsense. The household gods. We'll talk about that more in just a second. 
and the, and the diviners see, see lies. They tell false dreams. They give empty consolation. Therefore, people wander like sheep and they are afflicted for a lack of a shepherd. So God says, I want to help, but there's a problem. And the problem is you got some household gods. The problem is there's some little shiny things within your home that you're elevating every other day that you're, you're, you're giving over lordship of your life to these little elevated idols that you are putting your trust in. The, the cultural norms of the day, we would say today, you've elevated some of these things and you're giving more glory and more place in your heart and in your home to these things than you are to the ways of the Lord. And we do this. We often chase after things that we think look good and we forget about God in the process. And because of that, what happens is we hand over our, our home to a, to a different foundation and all of a sudden cracks start to show up and things start to become unstable and things start to fall apart and things start to break apart. God says the household gods utter nonsense. In other words, he says, some of the stuff you're counting on is stupid. <laughs> That's what he says. They utter nonsense. They're dumb. This, is, this isn't working. And you thinking it's going to work is dumb. It's not going to work. And so what God wants to do is he wants to unseat the household gods from your heart. He wants to unseat the household gods that are, been, have been given prominence in your home. It's interesting how God puts this. He says that the household gods, he actually uses this word teraphim. And that word teraphim, it speaks to a specific kind of God. Now, in, in Bible times, the Hebrew people in the culture that they found themselves living in, there was all sorts of idol worship and, and altars that were built to false gods. And people would go to temples and they would bow down and they would worship false gods. That's not what this is talking about, though. The teraphim, when it speaks to the teraphim, it, it's really, it's talking about these, these small personal idols that were displayed prominently in houses. So here's how it works. A, a lot of the Hebrew people were practicing uh, this duality. They were practicing this in addition to worship where they would go to church or they would go to the temple on, on the Sabbath and they would walk in and everything looked good. And hey, shalom. What's up, everybody? Praise God. You know, let's make our sacrifices. Let's do our thing here. And that one day was given unto the Lord, but then they would go home and they would have all these other little idols that they would worship the rest of the week. They, they, would, they would do the God thing one day because it, it looked good, because that's their Hebrew people. And they believed in God, and they believed in God for the big stuff, but for the little stuff, they needed these other idols that they could count on. There was really a lot of other little stuff that they needed to count on more than they counted on God. We, we'll go to Yahweh when things get really bad, when the prognosis is really bad, when things look really, but for the, re, you know, for the rest of the stuff, we got some other ways, some kind of cultural gods of the day that we're going to work that will help us get through the day. So like for the, they would have for their business, they would have their, their bail. They got their little bail. I need this for my bit. You know, my, I want my business to be successful. So I got my bail. I bow down to this little bail here in, in my home. And he is a prominent place in my home. It's my, in addition to idol to help me with my business. 
Over here for my, for my kids, for, you know, for fertility, for my sex life. Over here I got my Asherah pole because, you know, I need, uh, that stuff has to, be, has to be good too. And so I'm going to lean into God for, for all that kind of stuff. For the harvest, you know, I want, I want to be successful with, with you know, the, the harvest coming in. So I'm going to go to Dagon for my, for my harvest. I'm going to lean into Dagon. I'm going to bow down to this little idol here. This is going to have a prominent place in my life. I'll trust God for the big stuff, but for this little stuff, you know, I, I, I got to work my ways. I got to work the cultural ways uh, of the day to deal with my enemies. I, you know, I got some beef over here with, with this other guy. We got to, you know, and so I'm going to, I'm going to lean into my, my Chamosh idol over here for that. And, and, and for my love life, you know, I got to have my love life, right? I'm going to lean into my Astarte idol. This is how people were living. So they worship God one day, but then they count on all these other little shiny idols that had, they've given prominence to in their, in the rest of their week to help them to get through the day-to-day stuff. It's, it, this is a duality. It's, it's dual commitment. And, and, and so what they, what they did was they kind of dedicated one day to the true God, and then they shared the rest of the week with whatever cultural God of the day suited their fancy the best. Duality. And let me just tell you something. Duality is dangerous. It's dangerous. R.C. Sproul says this, he says, the mixing of idol worship with the worship of God dilutes the authenticity of our faith. God demands our wholehearted devotion free from any distractions and false gods. So, so what God would do, and what you see in the, in the history of the, the church in the Old Testament is they would do this. They would begin to drift towards idol worship and then God would bring somebody to, to them to kind of say, hey, enough is enough. I believe this is what God's doing with me today. Is for me to come to you and say, hey, enough is enough. Enough with the duality. Enough with worshiping God one day and then, and then giving our life over to all these other things that we're putting our trust in, all this other shiny stuff that we're counting on the rest of the week. We need to pull this stuff down. And so they would do it and they would, they would come back into covenant loyalty with the Lord where they count on God for everything. And out of that, they would receive of the blessing of God and they would see themselves begin to flourish and begin to multiply. And they would see God help them to win the battles and the wars and they would take more ground for the kingdom. And, and, and as, as the blessing of God begin to come on their life, they would begin to move back towards duality. And they begin to start elevating other idols and, and they would backslide back into this state of duality and it would, it would mean that curses and darkness would come back into their home. And I think if we're being real this morning, church, can we be real this morning? You okay with that? Yeah. I think if we're being real this morning, many of us find ourselves in this same problem where we're, we're, we've got these in addition to idols that we're bowing down to. And we're living from this place of duality where we're kind of counting on God for the big stuff, but for the rest of this stuff, we've got some other little idols of the culture of the day that we're leaning into. And so there's a dual loyalty in our life. And, and Rick D. Boyer says it really good. If God is not God alone, he's not God at all. And this is where we find ourselves because we're not truly worshiping God like we should. We're diminishing the power of God to work in our life the way he wants to work. Augustine of Hippo says this, duality, duality in theology leads to confusion for it denies the simplicity and completeness of God. And, and one of the reasons why I believe we're seeing so much confusion, not only spiritual confusion, but just confusion. Like look at the world today. Like some of this confusion stuff, are you not sometimes looking at the world today as a Christian and going, how can they think this? How can like the most basic 
fundamental truths be something that are being thrown away? Like, it's crazy. But here's what the problem is. It's that a lot of Christian homes, a lot of believers have handed our life over and have said, well, we're going to live for God, but we're also going to elevate the cultural norms of the day. And so that leads to confusion. And it leads to, to a, a generation that's confused and walking away from God. 67%, almost 7 out of 10 kids that are graduating from high school, that are growing up in Christian homes, are leaving the church, are leaving the faith within one year. That should bother you. That should make you go, how am I training my children? Right? Seven out of ten are walking away from the Lord. They say today that biblical illiteracy is at an all-time high. Only 34% of Gen Z consider themselves Bible users. You say, well, that's not, that's not too bad. 34% of, of Gen Z. You know what that means, Bible users? It means they read the Bible once a year. 34% read the Bible once a year. 9% read it once a month. 4% read it once a week. Yikes. This is the generation that's coming up that's going to be leading in this world that has no biblical worldview. World and so is it, is it surprising that there's so much confusion? Is it surprising that there's so much destruction in the world? Because God is not... God alone in many homes, God is not God at all in many lives. That's what we're seeing. And so understand this, the family and the home is so important. And, and, and recognize that whether you're working it or not, just so you know, the power of the home is such that it's working whether you're working it or not. Like whether you choose to say, okay, I'm going to make the most of this and I'm going to be intentional with this. If you're doing it or you're not, it's working one way or the other, either for, either for good and for the kingdom or for bad and for another kingdom. Just stuff I read this week, stuff like this. Research suggests that if your parents lie to you when you're younger, even little white lies, it can create suspicion in you that you carry in relationships for the rest of your life. Yikes, right? If you grow up in a home where the mom is stressed, Studies show that you may not perform as well in mathematics or some other sciences. Sarah, after this last night, she came to me and she's like, am I stressed? Because our kids aren't very good at math. It's like, no, they're just not good at math. <laughs> look, look at this, though. Additionally, when your parents share their feelings and are vulnerable with you, it can lower the rate of divorce later on in a child's life. Like, here's what you see. This stuff matters. Yeah. It's working whether you're working it or not. The potential impact of a home is, is so great. And so the question then becomes for us that we really need to be wrestling with is what am I modeling? What am I displaying to my children? What are they seeing in me? Not just what am I saying? What am I doing once a week? But what am I modeling in the home? Are you modeling kingdom values or are you modeling different values? Are you modeling one true God and we worship him with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength? Or are you modeling something else? Are you modeling the opinions of God based on the word? Or are you modeling your own opinions? Or are you modeling the opinions of, of the world? Parents, what are you displaying for your children? What do your priorities reflect to your children? 
with what you do with your money, with what you do with your time, what does it reflect to the next generation, what you're doing? Does it reflect we worship God and we worship Him with our all? Or does it, does it reflect we, we worship God and we go to church except when it's baseball season? We worship God and we, we go to church unless, unless, is there an unless in your faith? <laughs> unless it's meat season. Unless it's fill in the blank season. St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. In other words, it's not just what you say, it's what you do. Your actions speak louder than your words. Or as you've heard it said before, parenting is more caught than taught. What are they seeing in you? What are, what are you modeling? Jesus said this, dear children, 1 John 3, 18, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. What are you modeling? And, and I think where we've made the mistake as parents is we've, we've, we've set a different model, a different example, and championed a different dream for our children than the dream of the kingdom. We've, we've, we bought into the dream of the American dream of, of, of like, you know, this is all about your, your, your pleasure and your joy and your happiness. And so whatever leads to that is what we're going to go after. We're, we're, we're pursuing life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So happiness is the goal here. So, so what, whatever we can do to make you have the most fun, whatever we can do to help you be the most popular, to help you be accepted in this world, we're teaching them this, to bow down to the cultural idols of the day and then, is it any wonder, like, how can we be surprised that they don't end up growing, they don't grow up and serve a God that we didn't display to them a life of service to? We need our families to stop being spas of self-gratification and prideful exploration. And we need to change them into missional hubs of discipleship and genuine kingdom servanthood. Might want to write that one down. What are you modeling? Is it duality? Is it a little bit of the kingdom and, of darkness and a little bit of the kingdom of God? Or is it all? All to Jesus. Jesus at the center of it all. It's our job. As parents, it's our job as we lead in this generation that we create an altar, that we build an altar in our home that elevates God above all else. That, that displays a life of sacrifice that they can grab onto, that lights a flame in them that will burn and burn on for years and years to come. So how do we, how do, we do that? Well, Deuteronomy 6 tells us how to do it. Look at this, verse 7. It says, impress them, talking about God's words, on your children. Talk about them. Notice these, it's going to list here these four contemplative times within every day that every person has that we can start to take advantage of making the most of elevating God. It says, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames and on your houses. So I want to talk about each one of these things, but before I do, let me, let me just make a statement here. Put the phone away. Now, I'm not talking to a specific individual right here that has their phone out, okay, in case you're running. Like, if you just had your phone out, you're like, oh, sorry. No, that wasn't you. I'm talking about 
in, in spite of being just another pastor who's banging the gong of like, hey, guys, put the phone away. It's hurting you. It's doing damage to you. Let me be another pastor speaking right now that's saying, hey, guys, put the phone away. It's doing damage. It's hurting you. It's hurting your children. Yeah. I read this article this week by a guy named Andrew Bosovich. He's a Boston University history professor. He wrote this article called Forget Dagon, Baal, and Asherah, Smartphones Are the New Idols, in which he says this, as successor to the machine age, the so-called information age promises to empower humanity as never before, and it therefore, uh, before, and therefore to complete our liberation. Taking the form of a wireless handheld device, the dynamo of our time has truly become a symbol of infinity. It offers us instant access to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Anyone who today works with or near young people cannot fail to see this. For members of the present generation, the smartphone has become the amulet. It is a sacred object to be held and caressed and constantly attended to. Precious Previous generations fell in love with their cars and became addicted to TV, but this one elevates devotion to material objects to an altogether different level. In the guise of exercising freedom, its members engage in a form of idolatry. Small wonder the aficionados of Apple iPhone call it the Jesus phone. Remember the teraphim I talked about earlier? The shiny little object in our home that we keep looking to over and over again? Huh? Like... And here's the problem. It's not making you better. Like, you know that, right? This generation is not getting smarter. We're getting dumber. Research studies indicate that despite our technology, our technological advancements, we're not getting smarter and faster. We're not getting faster. We think we're getting faster. We're not getting faster. In fact, research suggests that we might be becoming slower and less intelligent, or in other words, dumber okay? <laughs> Some studies even suggest that the average human attention span is now shorter than that of a goldfish. <laughs> so the phone's getting smarter, but the people are getting dumber. And yet we're handing over parenting to the iPhone, to the iPad, to the i-whatever. And it's time to take back our parenting, church. Your, your phone is forming your kids. And I get it. Sometimes it's easier in the car to just put a device in their hand. But at, at what price are we doing these things? It may be harder to have a conversation, but it's out of that conversation that God can produce life. So parents, quit handing over this stuff. So as I talk about all of these things, these four contemplative areas, understand they are absent of a phone, okay? Put the smartphone away. All right, so here's the first one. When you sit. Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, when you sit in your home. You know, one of the definitions of an altar is a table. And I believe that, the, that, that God is calling us to take back the table, specifically the dinner table. The dinner table is a wonderful place. It's a wonderful, let me say it like this, it's a platform that you can elevate God from. In fact, let me read you this. Uh, regular family dinners often... Uh, offer a multitude of benefits. They have been linked to improved academic performance in adolescence, healthier eating habits, reduced engagement in risky behaviors. Some of you parents say amen to that. Enhanced communication and bonding, 
Positive effects on mental health, including lower rates of depression and suicidal thoughts. Additionally, family dinners can contribute to a child's language development, reduce stress, and provide, look at this, a platform for passing down cultural traditions and family values. The, the dinner table is a platform that you can begin to use to lift up God, to elevate God, to display God, to communicate God to a generation. When God is brought up at the dinner table, we partake in a sacred communion that not only nourishes us in our physical bodies, but nourishes us in our, in our spirit. So bring God to the dinner table. Take back the dinner table. Now, let me say this as I, as I go through these things today. By no means am I standing up here today saying, me and my family, we are nailing this stuff. <laughs> We're trying hard. But, you know, it's not always perfect in our home. We try to have dinner every night if we can, but we got stuff too. We got stuff going on. We got games and we've got other stuff that happens throughout the week. But as much as we can, we try to come together to eat a meal together and to talk with the phones put away. And we, we as the parents, lead by, by doing stuff like asking questions and being intentional to say, we're going to elevate God. One of the things that we do in our house is we, when we have dinner, we go around the table and we, ha- we tell everyone, okay, what was your peak and your pit of the day? And you can't say, I didn't have one. You have to communicate something <laughs> that was your highlight and something that was your low light of the day. And here's what it allows us to do as parents. In the highlight, we're able to glorify and praise God for what he's done. And in the low light, we're able to bring God into that situation and show them how God can be with them in the middle of whatever it is that they're facing. But we have to be intentional with this. So we are intentional to choose to have dinner Every chance we get. Another thing that we do in our home is we have what's called a Sabbath dinner. We do this every Thursday. Our Sabbath, Sarah and I practice the Sabbath on Friday. We disconnect from work. We connect with each other. We connect with God in a, in a different way. We rest from work so that we can connect with the Lord. And so that starts on, on Thursday night at 6 o'clock. We have Sabbath dinner. And, uh, and I cook dinner, and we eat dinner at the, the dining room table uh, we normally eat at the kitchen table, but this night we eat at the dining room table and we eat at the, with the fancy plates and, and dad cooks and dad adds butter and dad puts cream and stuff and dad brings dessert. And so it is a feast of the senses. We're going to walk away having gained a little weight from this meal. And that's, that's a little bit of the goal. We want to be full. We're celebrating the goodness of God, tasting the goodness of God. And then we go around the table. Hey, how can we pray for you this week? And we let everybody talk about what's going on and we're going to pray. And, and we don't just, me and, Ma, me and Sarah don't just pray. We let the kids pray for each other. We lay hands on each other and we pray and we bless our children. And we take communion together and we let different people, we're on a rotation. Who, who's up for communion this week? Okay, Bo, lead us in communion. She leads in, in communion and we encourage each other. And we've seen God show up in powerful ways. We've seen God heal our children like of of things that are going on in their bodies. Like we've seen words that have been declared. In fact, this, this week we went around the table and we handed out this little bowl that had everybody's name in it. And we said, why don't you take out one of these pieces of paper and that's who you're going to pray for all week. And you're going to ask God to give you a word that for them that you're going to bring to the next Sabbath dinner. And so we're, we're just training them. Hey, we, we elevate God in this home. We love God in this home. We believe in this stuff. Like we really believe in it. This isn't just a practice that we do. This is a God we surrender our life to. We need to take back the dinner table. And, and, and listen, all of us can do this. Uh, Maddie was praying in pre-service prayer today and she made a statement I thought was so good. If you're single, how can you do this? 
Like, why don't you invite some people over and, and cook a meal for them and, and elevate God for these people and just have a time of communion and feasting together. It's, it's Acts 2. That's what they were doing. So when you sit, here's number two. When you walk, you with me? When you walk, Deuteronomy 6, 7, when you walk along the road. Now, in Bible times, when you walk along the road is talking about how you travel from place to place. And we don't so much walk anymore. We drive, right? And, but, but I think sometimes we miss out on this opportunity. Listen, parents, when you drive with your kids, you take them to school, you take them to sports, you take them to different things that you take them to, and you do this a lot. How many of you feel like an Uber driver sometimes, right? <laughs> but guess what? You have a you literally have a captive audience. Unless they want to choose to like Magnum PI jump out and roll out of your car, they ain't going nowhere. So this is an opportunity for you to elevate the things of God, to talk about God, to pray with your children, to pray for them as they go to school. I hope you're praying for your kids as they walk into their schools. Well, we carpool though. So what? Pray, elevate God for those other kids to see. Elevate God. Listen to, to, listen to worship music instead of sports radio. Listen to worship music instead of Taylor Swift's new album. Listen to, listen to Christian worship and stuff. Like Create an atmosphere of the Lord. Put on a section of a podcast that ministered to you and let your kids hear it. Put the Bible on. Like Get the Bible app out and put the audio on. And, and you say, well, my kids won't understand it. Cool. Now you explain it to them. <laughs> Like, let them hear the word of God. Like, here's, here's my point, is you have this opportunity to elevate God. Or are you making the most of it? This is what the Bible says. When you, when you walk, make the most of this opportunity. Here's the third one. When you lie down. When you lie down. Deuteronomy 6, 7. When you lie down. I, I've, I've noticed something about my kids. I remember my kids were little, like little bitty, and their bedtime was 8 o'clock. That was magic. Because it's like 8 o'clock, they're done. We're done. And now it's like Sarah and Josh time. And sometimes we'd put them to bed and we'd have a, a whole nother meal, like what we wanted. I'm telling you. <laughs> we would. We'd be like, let's order food. Let's eat good stuff. Get some sushi. But it ain't like that anymore. I have a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old. And if I say, hey, go to bed, it's 8 o'clock, they're going to look at me like I'm an idiot. So now what we find is our kids don't go to bed till we go to bed. And when they go to bed, one of the things I've discovered, you may be able to relate to this, we go in and we, we say goodnight to our kids, pray over them every night. And a lot of times when we do it, like we're getting ready to walk out and I'm so done. I'm so done. <laughs> and I'm walking out of the room and they'll be like, hey dad. And they ask some question and it's just like, <sighs> that used to be my posture. But I'm learning something. There's a reason why they ask those questions at night. Because for some of them, it's the first time in their day that they've had a quiet, contemplative moment. And all of a sudden, there's stuff coming up in them that's like, what, what's going on with me? What's going on in my heart? What's going on in my life? In fact, I, I did some research this week. This lady, Mylene Sheck, a child sleep and behavior consultant, said, the bedtime routine brings a feeling of intimacy and closeness with your parents to kids, which can make a child feel more inclined to open up. And it's not just for little children. It's actually teenagers too. Studies suggest that teenagers gain as much from a bedtime routine that includes parents and caregivers as younger children do. Bedtime often serves as the preferred moment for them to share and discuss their lives more than any other time 
of the day. So here's what I'm starting to do. And this is happening a lot in our home lately. We put our kids down and we're trying to disconnect. We want to be done. But I'm learning it's an opportunity for me to sit on the floor of their room, hear their heart, and elevate God. And I just want you to know, if you got kids, you know, you don't have them forever. And I, I don't want my position as a parent to be, I just want to get in bed. I'm tired. I've had a long day. I'll have plenty of time for that after they're gone. But right now they're in my home. And right now their brains are being formed. And I want to help form those to love Jesus and light a fire in them. So that means I sit on the floor and I hear their heart and I pour out my heart of love for them. And I call out things in them. Let it be. We got to change our posture, church. We got to change our posture, parents. Don't be in such a hurry to get your butt in bed. Be in a, be in a hurry to allow God to use you to minister to your children. Amen? Amen? The fourth one is when you get up. Deuteronomy 6, 7, when you rise up. Sarah and I, we get up early every day. We're up at 530 and we're in the word and we're in prayer and we're in worship and that's our quiet time. One of the reasons why we do that is because the kids aren't up yet. So we have a moment where we can connect with the Lord. But we also are very careful to create an atmosphere. Sarah's really good about this. She gets up, she makes coffee, she lights candles, she puts on worship music. And so what happens is we've been with the Lord for a good hour and a half, inviting his presence and prayer and worship and study. And now our kids get to walk into an atmosphere that's already been soaked with the presence of God. Now, again, that doesn't mean that our mornings go perfect because, man, my kids can quench the Spirit of God like nobody else. <laughs> they are champions at it. But more than anything, here's what I want. I just want them to know mom and dad value the Word of God enough that we're up early to go after Him. He's first. If they can see that modeled, we feel like we're, we're doing good. And it helps us too. Because now we're not just operating out of the flesh. We can operate in the spirit as we deal with their, the quenching of the spirit that they work hard to do. But here's my point. He, Ephesians 5 says this. It says, make the most of your time on earth. Recognizing and taking advantage of each and every opportunity and using it with wisdom and diligence because the days are filled with evil. Like we all know that, right? There's a lot of evil in the day. And, and so we need to make the most of these opportunities that we have. And I want you to know, God wants to be in your home. Jesus said, I, I stand at the door and I knock. If you'll let me in, I'll come in with you and dine with you and you with me. And, and so he's saying, like, I want to have this intimate relationship with you. So the question becomes, are you inviting him in? Are you making a space for him? Are you building an altar he can rest on? Tim Keller says, God is always near. But it's when we invite him to lead that his presence becomes the guiding light. When I think of altars, I think of Abraham. Abraham built a lot of altars. And Abraham lived this life on the move, like a lot of us. We're moving, right? We got a lot going on. Abraham literally was on the move in that he, he lived in tents and he would travel as, as God would lead him. But everywhere that he would, he, would, he would settle, he would build an altar. And so he would stack up stones and he would make a sacrifice. And it was his way of saying, God, I want you here. And then he would light a fire. And the Bible makes it clear that he would do these things. He would build this altar and then God would show up. And God would not just show up on the altar. God would show up in his life. And God would bless him and God would be with him and God would lead him and God would guide him because he was building an altar. Here's, here's a question for you. What are you doing to build an altar in your home? 
What are you doing to build an altar in your life that says, God, I I want you here? What spaces are you consecrating for the Lord? What, What sacrifices are you willing to make to say, God, I want you to show up here. What are, what are you willing to put on the altar and say, God, burn this away. This needs to go. And then what fire are you lighting that, that to, as, a, as a fire unto the Lord? Like in you, first of all. What are you doing to light a fire in you for the Lord? What are you doing in your kids to light a fire in them for the Lord? What are you doing in this generation? What are you doing with your friends around you, young people? What are you, what are you doing to light a fire that says, God, I want you here, and God, I'm going to burn for you, and I'm going I'm I'm to do this because I want you to show up here, and I want you to bless this, and I want you to add fuel to the fire so this can overflow and burn up the things of this world. Understand this. Your altar and your victory are tied together. There's a story in Exodus chapter 17 where uh, Moses is on this hill and they're fighting the Amalekites. And you know the story probably if you've been around the church. As long as his hands, his arms are raised, they're winning the battle. But over time, he, he gets tired and, and his arms begin to droop. And as they start to droop, they start to lose. And so Aaron and her come alongside him. And they begin to lift up his arms and they help him. And so they, they lift up his arms and they win the battle. And then verse 15, it says that Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. He builds an altar and he calls it, the Lord is my banner. Now the symbolism there is significant. A banner, when he speaks of a banner here, he's not talking about like a banner, like we know a banner, like a cloth or a vinyl banner. It's actually talking about a spear. And it was a spear that was held by the leader, the one that was leading them into battle. And that spear would be held up and it would point, it would show everybody where the battle is going and it would show them that the leader is still in front leading the battle. So when he says this, he builds this altar and he says, the Lord is, is my banner. He's saying to the children of Israel, he's saying to the people, he's leading parents. He's saying to them, this is not just about me. This is about God. And God leads us to victory. So we go where he points us to go. So today, if you find yourself going I don't feel like we're walking in the victory in our home like we should be. My question is, are you pointing your family to the right banner? Are you pointing them to the Lord who always leads us into victory? Or are you pointing them to something else? And if you're pointing them to something else, here's what you do. You repent. Repent. You just turn from it. Like realize like, okay, I was wrong and now I'm going to repent and now I'm going to make the changes necessary. And it may be significant. It may mean some stuff's going to have to really change in your home. But repent means, okay, I recognize what I was doing was wrong, and now I'm going to do what's right. And I'm going to have the tough conversations, and we're going to do whatever we need to do because we are going to build a home that elevates God. We're going to create an atmosphere, and we're going to make the sacrifices necessary so we can light some flames in our children and so that God can come and he can add fuel to the flame and he can burn something in our kids that's gonna touch the next generation. I don't want the next generation to fall away from God. I want our generation, our kids, what we're doing in our homes to help lead the way. If that sounds good to you, say amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I wanna pray for you, church. I wanna pray for every one of you here that you would all see the call of God on you to build altars in your home, to build altars in your life. So Father, we just come to you right now. We just thank you for the revival that you wanna bring to our homes. And Lord, where we've built on shaky foundations, God, we just say, we repent, we say we're sorry, and we we wanna turn from those things and turn back to you and build 
on, on the firm foundation, Lord. We, we don't want to build on the sand of this world, on little principles. We don't want to live that duality stuff out where we have these in addition to idols, Lord, where we've, where we've elevated other stuff and given other stuff place in our hearts. God, we repent. We say we're sorry, and we tear those things down today. God, we don't want to practice duplicity, so help us, Lord, to cast down the idols. Help us, Lord, to make the changes necessary so that our homes can be, can be dwelling places for the presence of God. Our homes can be dwelling places for the presence of God, Lord God. And, and, and beyond it just affecting our home, Lord, that it would begin to spill over out of our home into the lives of other people. That when kids come over to our house that are friends with our children, Lord, that they would, they would sense something different. It would stir a passion in them for something different that they're not experiencing. That as our kids go into the schools and as we go into our schools and as we, wherever we find ourselves, Lord, wherever, whatever we call home today, Lord, let it be an altar unto you. Let it be a place where we elevate you, make sacrifices for you and burn for you, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to stay in church. I'm going to invite our altar ministry team to come down. If you're here today and you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're here today and you can't help but be thinking about that one child of yours that maybe is away from God. Maybe you've got a prodigal and you want to pray for them. Maybe today you're, you're, you're getting, you're like there's a sense of like, okay, I haven't been doing this the right way. But I want to pray. Here's what I want to pray for. That God would anoint you to do what you need to do moving ahead. It's not enough to just have the information. God wants to, to put his spirit on you to help you carry out what he wants you to do. So if you're recognizing today some changes need to take place in my home, let's invite the Holy Spirit to anoint us to carry that out with power and with wisdom so that we can do what God's inviting us to do. Or maybe you're here and you need something else. You need, your, your marriage is struggling. You need prayer over your marriage. Your finances are a mess. You need prayer over that. Whatever the case is, we'd love to pray with you today. So these guys are down here and I want to encourage you before you leave today, make sure that you stop by and let us pray with you. We want to join our faith with you for whatever it is that you're believing God for. Let's go back into this time of worship. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We glorify you. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who wants to rest on our life and wants to empower us and strengthen us to carry out whatever it is that we're called to do. And so, Lord, I just pray if there's anyone in this room that needs prayer for anything, Lord, that you would draw them to the altars in faith to receive all that you have for them today, Lord God. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.